If you don't agree to be afraid or to become vulnerable, you don't agree to be fully alive. The idea of safety is insane. Why? Well, how can you be safe from death when it decides to come and get you? Why should we shift from mindfulness to bodyfulness? And why are fear and pain our friends? What can we gain from body attention? And how can you be fully present with another person? In this episode, I talk to Avi Grimberg, the founder of the Grimberg Method. He teaches people to be bodies again. We talk about the pleasure of being afraid, being present, and how our mind is just interpreting reality. This podcast brings you stories from and about people who stepped into the unknown, stories about fear, uncertainty, the illusion of security, or I don't know, let's see what it will be about. My name is Katarina Bayer, and I will host you on this journey into the unknown. What is your definition of uncertainty? Uncertainty for me is a normal state that you don't know what's going to happen in the next second. People that are certain of what's going to happen are always surprised when stuff happens that they didn't expect. And the world is changing all the time. So if certainty is knowing what's going to happen in the next moment, certainty is a terrible mistake. If certainty is the confidence in your ability to deal with the next moment, then certainty is actually an act of com uh, being confident at your ability to deal with something unknown that will pop up. And again, your confidence cannot rely on the past because whatever comes up is not a repetition. Your confidence has to be just because you chose to be confident. So uncertainty, forward is a blessing, backwards is a terrible mistake. You are the founder of the Greenberg Method. It is a method that teaches people to pay attention and to build up a level of energy. So if your clients use this energy, they can either recover from a sickness or from chronic pain, or they can use the energy um, that they change something that they don't want to experience anymore, like a, a set of conclusions they had about themselves. So actually it's a method that teaches people to be free. And when we come to freedom, There's freedom and there's security. Is this a contradiction for you? No. You can be free and secure. Okay. I, the definition of freedom, when I was very young, it was to grow hair and to smoke pot and uh, do all kinds of things like that. That has nothing to do with freedom. It was just another set of routines and behaviors that everybody did. So freedom is... a uh, very individual state of attention. Freedom for me means that you're free from whatever happened in the past, that you can be just fully yourself now, not connected to the traumas, the patterns you created in the past, the beliefs you carry from your past, etc. So freedom basically is very personal and very much about how you manage your attention. If it's focused always on the past and the conclusions, beliefs, behaviors that you adopted, then you're not free. You created a prison inside of you and in around you also because you'll behave in the same ways. So freedom basically is not a fixed state. Uh, it actually happens every minute differently. One minute freedom is the freedom to make a lot of money and the next minute freedom is the freedom to give it all away. So freedom, because of what it is, cannot be defined by repetition or routine. 
So, yes, I teach people to be free, and free in a world that their attention or the energy they accumulated and developed is allowed to deal with the now, not as a continuation from my past. When, when you said freedom is not carrying the patterns from the yes. past, could it also mean like you just don't care what happened? What is to care? Whatever happened, happened. If it left scars on you, it left scars on you. How much attention, time and energy you invest in that, how much you repeat the same kind of circles out of that, this is the question. Okay, what happened, happened. Whatever hurt you, humiliated you, etc., left scars on everything from your body to your emotions to your mind, it happened. How much is still around it? How much are you covering it? How much you try not to feel it and invest energy in fighting with it? This is the biggest issue here because there is no way to change what happened. But if you don't invest in it energy and you just allow it to be there like the scars that don't hurt anymore, okay? Yes, it's a memory, but it's not something that will shape your future. You once said that uncertainty is the most natural state of anything that is alive, that not knowing what will happen will make all living beings afraid, but if you avoid fear, it will actually control you. So as an advocate for fear and uncertainty, why should we allow it more in our lives? And what are the benefits that we gain from it, from uncertainty and fear? First of all, there is no way to not put it in our lives. Even if you manage not to feel it because you disconnected your head from your body, you're a living creature. You're going to die. Sooner or later, I hope for you and for me, much, much later, but this is going to happen, okay? Now, our, our fear is the awareness of my coming death. And it can, you're driving and there is almost an accident, You have a surge of energy and attention in the moment that comes to save your life. So fear is your bodyguard. If you are asleep and you're too tired and there is no fear that will wake you up, then you're going to get hurt or die. So fear basically protects us from dying too soon. If we don't know how to manage with it, then fear itself becomes our enemy. So instead of dealing with the situation, we are fighting with our own fear instead of dealing with what's happening to us. Because you already brought up death. What is your relationship personally to death? As a very young person, I witnessed a lot of death. Okay? And I worked in military hospital and then in a normal emergency room hospital. And in a few years... I participated in many people's death. Most of the trying, trying to make it not happen, but uh, the failures of, there is no way to avoid death really, okay? When our time comes, I always said that death comes when it wants, okay? And uh, with all our efforts, a lot of people died in this period of time. And I was there to see experience and feel it and I use this to remind myself of death now there is an old tradition that is learned in martial arts that is learned in many spiritual disciplines that the idea is that you remember your death many times a day it allows you in simple words to cut through the bullshit each time you start to obsess on something you get stuck in feelings you start to actually live inside of your head and not live in life remembering death brings you very quickly into life if the remembering actually includes the experience of fear It cannot be an intellectual idea. Oh, I remembered my death in the morning when I drink coffee and nothing happened. I mean, this is just a mind game. I'm talking about remembering death and zoom, get this wave of energy in my body. And trivialities can be trivialities. 
my attention instead of being obsessed with myself and what happened and what uh, it moves into the now. Because this is what fear does. It brings us to the now. And in our lives, we have only the now, 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 now. And each time we go into the past or into the future with our attention, we just lose the now. So remembering death, being aware of your impending death because it's coming, not as a morbid thing, not as something that you wish, not as a, uh, a wish to die or anything like that, the opposite, because each time you remember and you're afraid, the last thing you want is to die. So actually, I met many of my clients that were in a state where they didn't really care if they lived or died. Life was difficult, it tired them, they struggled a lot fighting their fear and having to push it down all the time, and it's exhausting to live like this. Because fear is an energy that revives you, regenerates you, okay? it makes you excited, passionate. Okay? Now, the problem with fear is that it was used against us as an enemy. Okay? We were frightened as children from grown-ups, from all the rules, from how we should behave. Fear was used as a stick. If you don't do this, if you don't behave like this, you'll be afraid. And fear appears as like the monster. And you can see that it's in our culture. We have nothing to be afraid but fear itself. Why be afraid of fear? Just be afraid. Okay? And this is the games we play. By avoiding fear, we have to disconnect from our body because like every living creature in this world, from the grass to the elephants, they're all afraid all the time because death is possible at every given second. We try to create security with cities and houses and uh, social security and all of this, but it's just beliefs, okay? When death comes, when danger comes, nobody will be there really to save you because they're busy all the time protecting you. <laughs> it's, it's unreal, huh? so you have to allow your fear to protect you. And this is where we made a terrible mistake as species. You already mentioned that people sometimes have episodes in their life where they want to die, like they're melancholic or depressive. And the mind tells us that we want to die, but the only thing the body wants to do is live. How, how does that work for you? How does that go along together, that the mind wants to die and the body wants to live? Look, in some people, they have enough energy and enough heart or passion for life that they can learn to break down this kind of command from the mind. Okay? In some people, the mind is so powerful and this kind of command to be depressive, to lose hope and the sentences and the heaviness, really, the big difference is how much they are connected to the body. Because for the body, every cell wants to live. There is not a question. To wish to die is to wish for nothing. Okay. But when we start to have a long life full of terror and humiliation or emptiness and loneliness, things that degrade us terribly, and we are trapped in a pattern of melancholy, depression, self-hate, okay? self-destructiveness, then the wish to die actually is the wish not to suffer. I, I met many people that tried to suicide in the emergency room. Most of them were shouting for help and didn't know how to do it any other way. Some of them really took it seriously because they just couldn't take it. Now, this I respect. Okay? There is no reason if your life is just a prolonged suffering, I wouldn't want to live like that. Okay? I think it's a personal choice and that... For some people, it's avoidable because there is enough that wants to live. But in some people, I have to respect the fact that they don't want. It's called freedom. It, it reminds me of something you once said that always will stick with me. You either believe or you perceive. So I'm wondering if we should turn from mindfulness into bodyfulness. Honestly, the whole term of mindfulness, I don't like so much because for me, the way I define the mind is an interpreter that 
the, it takes the perception we have as a body, which is huge and on many levels, okay, and reduce it to verbalizing, conceptualizing, interpretation through the patterns we learned in our lives. And to say mindfulness means that I'm using this interpreter to look at the body. Now, since our body, most of the interpretation comes from the eyes, not from perceiving, experiencing, feeling, or sensing, okay, but comes from a visual interpretation or maximum audible interpretation, because we lost the rest of our ability to perceive, then we are again interpreting reality. So for me, the idea to sit quietly and give orders from my mind to my body is insane. This is not the way to approach my body. My body is a living entity that does a million uh, actions per second that we know and probably another 10 million that we don't know. To watch it with, I have a concept of relaxation that now I will force on my body, I find as crazy as other patterns of behavior or perceiving myself like believing that I'm a mind with a body. Okay, if I look at this century, people believe they are minds with bodies and they talk about the winning of mind over body. It's like matter is shit and mind is everything. And I look at this and it's the interpreter. Okay? There is no creativity there. There is no new ideas there. There is no personal, individual expression there. It's only interpretation. So to choose the interpreter... Okay, it's like you met somebody, you have an interpreter, and you don't look at that somebody, you look only at the interpreter, and he lies, or he doesn't know the language well, and he's using ideas that are not... I, I had interpreters many times when I taught in countries that couldn't understand my English, and with my little knowledge of Italian or French, I heard how they twist my things. So interpreters twist the things according to fashion. Okay? according to style, according to the spirit of the times, according to language. Okay? And I would like to get back the experience of the body, not the verbalization, conceptualization, that in 10 years nobody will understand what you said because the language changed. I think the interesting thing, thing that you said, the first thing when I tried to learn body attention, what I did is I, I looked down on my body. So I used my eyes to looking down, but in the end, you feel that, I don't know, your knees are shaking and you try to interpret what it means. And what comes out is not that your knees are shaking, but you said, oh, I'm afraid I feel it there. But you don't really say what, what's going on in your body. Yeah, yeah. We, we lost the ability to describe our experience because we are using our mind and he's not a describer, he's an interpreter. Okay? It doesn't allow us a full sensory, emotional, physical experience. It looks at the experience and judges as good, bad, like it, don't like it, right or wrong, because it's also possible you have some experience that is a no-no. Okay? Uh, and then actually you lost in the ability to become yourself. You are your body. You can say that you are many types of bodies. Okay, dreaming body, energetic body, whatever. okay, fine, no problem. You are your bodies, okay? <laughs> But you are not a mind with a body. You are a body that if your mind wouldn't be so vicious, okay, it would be a body with a mind. Okay, because the mind allows us, yes, to learn from past experience, to use information. There are many fantastic aspects of the interpreter. Okay? But if we just lose everything else and just live there, we lost what is to be alive. Passion, love, fear, okay? sensuality, sexuality, they're not parts of the mind. You try to do it with the mind and it becomes prevert. What I'm just thinking is the intellectual part of reflection sometimes hindering us from being alive. So is it better to be, let's call it dumb and just live than always reflecting what goes on? I don't think that people that lived in this world about 15,000 years ago were dumb. Okay? They are much more adaptable. They didn't have tools. 
They didn't have technology, they had technology because they cooked, they had fire already 200,000 years, they arranged for them, fantastic, interesting life, and they adapted to every climate. Think today of somebody from Austria trying to adapt to the Sahara, okay, without air condition. So those people were amazing. To call them dumb? I would never do that. I look at people today that got their education in school and they know nothing about life. I call those dumb. My ancestors were amazing. They were magical. Um, personally, for you, what is your biggest source of uh, uncertainty? I, I don't know how to answer that because I don't think I have a source like that. Okay. Uh, uncertainty for me is a state of attention that I deliberately go in each time I work with somebody. See, I, I have clients sometimes for a long time and my interpreter is collecting the knowledge, the information, the, the, what they felt, what happened, etc. Like there is a story, okay? And I have to approach them and move into uncertainty because all this story gives me certainties. Ah, it was like this, I did this, it does that, okay? This is like totally stupid, okay? Because the person changed, especially if what I did worked. <laughs> it's not the same person. So I have to again be uncertain, again question, again open my eyes, not to my speculations, but to the ease, okay? To what's happening now, okay? If I don't do that and I act upon, I have 45 years of experience, I'm blah, 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 then I lost the moment. Now, the problem is not that only my client will lose my real expertise, I will also lose the moment because instead of being alive in something, I will be a dead machine that repeats a solution from the past. And it's my life. I don't do it just for the client. I want to live that moment. The fact that I'm paid for it doesn't mean I have to be dead while I'm doing it. I once read a quote from Ellen Watts in the book uh, Wisdom of Insecurity, and it says, to understand music, you must listen to it. But so long as you are thinking I'm listening to music, you are not listening. I know from myself how many times my mind keeps me busy and I'm going into the past. I know the past is frozen, but it's like I'm going back and I think that something in the past does something with the future that devastates something. So I've done something and because of this, something is not happening. And I know that I'm suffering, but I'm wondering, do, do I gain something from the suffering or why do I do it repeatedly? I, I think you're doing it repeatedly because everybody around you does that since you were very, very, very small. Already in the belly of your mother, your mother was doing it. So we have a structure of mind that in a way was forced on us. Since I was lucky enough to live with uh, uh, those people that live in jungles that don't have websites, etc., okay, I noticed that they have much, spend much less time internally in their parallel individual reality. They live much more in the present, in the now, and they're much happier for that, and much less neurotic and much less... Uh, problems of insecurity and anxiety and all, uh, you will not find anorexics or bulimics or you will find none of this. Now, the simple thing is that we were educated that life is inside. And uh, this is where you're going to seek it, okay? It's like something happened, you go inside to talk to yourself about what happened instead of experiencing what happened, because in the next moment, another thing will happen. So, but yes, each time you go into the past, in a way, you create a circle. And if you think of life as a journey, if you stop every few seconds, turn around, it's not sure if you're going forward or backward. And most people feel like that, that they're not sure if they're going forward or backwards. And what's in the past already was learned. To repeat it just imprints it, but you have to know you're fighting with a structure of attention that is incredibly embedded in you. 
It's not just your thoughts or the words that you hear inside of your head. It's the tension in your muscles. It's like you think about something in the past that uh, was unpleasant. Your body is experiencing this unpleasantness again. It's like the wound almost was closed and then you tore it open. Now, you can say that there is some pleasure in it, but the body hates it. Okay. Maybe there is another kind of pleasure in the interpreter, okay? But the, for the body, this is hell. This is the prison of misery. Because you brought up uh, the people you met in the jungle, I had an interview with a lady who lived with hunters and gatherers, and she told me that they don't even have a word for the past or the future. They just have a word for the present. Yes. Look, even in our languages... A few thousand years ago, there wasn't I. The concept I didn't appear. There was here. Okay, there was here. Not I, you. The, this kind of separations is from that kind of structure of the mind. Look, this structure creates wars, creates countries, creates racism, creates hierarchy, because this structure is very embedded in you. Some people are now 20 generations slaves. Okay, and you are slaves if you don't break free to all kinds of weird beliefs from 5,000 years ago that you may still believe in them. So yes, we are born into a prison. And we all share this prison. We all create parallel individual realities that are virtual, that are not real. The problem is that they force our body to experience the same shit again and again. The humiliation again and again, the shame again and again, the pain again and again. This is why so many people have chronic conditions, because they're trapped in something that makes them experience something cyclic or repetitive or continuous. I think this is the interesting thing when we come also to animals. I mean, animals suffer and they die. They eat when they're hungry and they play when they want to play. And when you watch documentaries, there is a zebra running away from a lion and 30 minutes later, it is totally relaxed and, and eats grass again. Um, so it's like their behavior comes from a place of instinct and ours comes often from, uh, from anxiety. So I know that you're a cat lover. <laughs> What can we learn from animals? My cats are all the time afraid. Even where they are very safe and they, they are very safe with me, a noise when they sleep, they, their mind doesn't work. Oh, I'm in the house, everything okay, it's outside. They heard something, their bodies in a microsecond are ready to fight, to run, to escape, to do whatever is necessary. They're always afraid. Even when I cuddle them and they purr, etc., something happens. They are whooshed out of my arms. They don't, Avi will protect me. They don't expect anybody to protect them. Okay. Uh, there is no structure to say, where is the police? Oh. <laughs> Where is my father? There is immediately their own responsibility for their survival. So fear for them is an amazing injection of energy and attention, and they respond in the real, in the now. Okay? We were trained to doubt that to call it by names. What is this fear? Am I experiencing something from the past? Is it my PTSD? Is it all kinds of stuff like that? And we don't respond in reality. Look, when I worked in emergency room, I was trained to respond with the fear. Not each time I would see something truly horrible and that I will get paralyzed from shock because it's, it's unconceivable to see something like this. Okay, and I saw really, truly horrible stuff. So in the beginning, I was very young. I was 19 when it started. I, I had a few times that I just couldn't, I was totally paralyzed. My mind couldn't process the horror I was witnessing. But since it was my responsibility to act, I had to find a way to use all this terror that was flowing in my body to act instead of shaking, shivering, or becoming catatonic like some of the people next to me did. 
I found a way somehow to use that fear and to act very quickly. In 20 seconds, I cut all the clothes. In the 10 seconds, I put the infusion in. And then, da, 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 and this is a very different way of dealing with <gasps> or panic or anxiety. All, all the names that we gave, the psychologists, the doctors, that they gave to what we do to fear, is we do it to fear. We interfere. We interrupt. We block it. We don't want it. We think it's bad. We think a life without fear is worth living. Why? To get bored all the time? Where's the excitement? Look, there is in nature a very clear thing. You take away the predator, okay? And you create a situation where you kill everything. They bring the wolves in, into Yellowstone. There is a famous story that the park was in a bad shape. They brought the wolves in and the rivers came back. We need fear, need fear. The whole idea of safety first, I understand in a building site, safety first. But to live as safety first, no, love is a terrible gamble. Can really go bad, okay? So safety first, no love, only calculations. Okay? So if you want to live without love, without passion, without feelings, without fear, without sensuality, sexuality, because they're all frightening. And they're all, really, you cannot be safe. You become vulnerable. Okay? If you don't agree to be afraid or to become vulnerable, you don't agree to be fully alive. The idea of safety is insane. Why? Well, how can you be safe from death when he decides to come and get you? You even wrote a book that is titled Fear, Pain and Other Friends. And I understand the concept of fear, but why do we sometimes need pain to get attention? Like what can pain offer us in self-healing and getting attention to our bodies? First of all, pain is one of the natural ways of the body to heal itself. You get the blow for example. And the blow is not the problem. Okay? The problem is what is left after. Now, what does the body does? It hurts. When it hurts, what does your body do? Not your mind. Your mind goes, mama, mama, and you're trying to look for pills, injections, or whatever, cut off my arm, whatever, okay? But what does your body do? It, first of all, it created a focus for the energy of the body. It knows there is something there. Now, there are many illnesses that actually paralyze the nervous system in a way that people don't feel pain. Those people, uh, leprosy is one of the illnesses that does that. And people won't feel pain and take off their nose or leave a finger on the door, on the handle, because they won't notice Okay? So, if you won't feel pain, you would hurt your body in ways it cannot recuperate. You take away the pain, you mask the pain, like most medications do, your body doesn't know what to do. It doesn't know where, it doesn't know what it needs. You took away from it one of the things that it needs to heal. Look, you were trained for, to teach people that don't know how to handle pain by teaching them to agree to pain, not to have pain, because it separates between me and the pain, but to be the pain. Now, when I'm the pain, and I don't fight it, and I let it work, what happens, I'm sure it happened to you many, many times, it transforms, it becomes energy, it becomes heat, it becomes flow, the muscles are jumping, and immediately you see results. So all you learned to do was to allow the pain to do its natural work. Now, this is very clear and simple with little pains. When you have a condition that is really much more complex and difficult, and it's been like this for many years, okay, it's a much more long process, first of all, to take away all the responses to pain. Because if you close all of your body and you don't move and you try to mask it with things, then you lost the access to your pain because you're no longer your body. 
And when you're no longer your body, you create actually from a pain that could have finished in a week, you create out of it maybe a pain that will follow you for the rest of your life. Because you imprinted it in your body by responding to it in a way that never allowed it to follow its natural flow. Now, I'm not saying that every pain can be transformed like this. Okay? Working with people that have terrible cancers or other kind of horrible conditions, okay, I would recommend for them to take medication. Because this is not a transformative pain. It's not a pain that heals you. And uh, you have to be able to distinguish between the two types of pain. I look at good pain as I I read something very heavy and now my shoulder is painful. Great, this is good pain. If I learn how to work with that, okay, actually my shoulder will heal and probably what was there was a weakness that the pain just exposed. Okay, so pain is not one thing just like fear. Okay, I, I met thousands of types of pain. Each person experiences pain also individually. It's incomparable. Some people have a little pain, but they feel that they are dying from it. And some people can take pain, which is unbelievable, and totally be able to relax into it. So I think, again, this should be considered individually, not uh, as a general kind of thing for all of humanity. When I lived in the jungle for a while, I, I sued a boy of five or six that his skull, uh, the skin, was cut and I had to sue it like 60 stitches. It took me three hours, okay, in very bad conditions with bad equipment. But he sat three hours on the, the quiet, didn't interfere, okay, didn't contract. I told him, breathe, and he was sitting, breathing, relaxing, and 60 stitches, okay, on one of the most sensitive places in the body. And I asked him afterwards, uh, the way I could with the interpreter, if it was painful, and he said, no, it wasn't. He didn't think it should be painful. A lot of pains of modern people, okay, are because we know it should be painful. I had many clients coming in with something that took 10 minutes to deal with. But in their mind, it appeared like a huge issue. And I will say, and the drama that we learn to hate pain and to avoid pain should know that pain medication has the most income or money involved than any other medication. Because we were trained, pain, bad. Heart pain, get a treatment. Like, we cannot take pain. You talked about our ancestors as primitive. Those people took pain. Those people didn't have doctors or didn't have, they had to deal with really difficult conditions compared to us, but they knew how to handle pain. Yeah, I think this is the difference because we already know when we go to the dentist, oh, it will be painful and we already awaken the pain. Yes. Okay. And I go to the dentist if I trust them because if I don't trust them, I don't go to them. But if I trust them, I relax. I am afraid. Somebody is with a sharp thing in my mouth, but I'm totally relaxed. And if I don't mind the pain, like my mind doesn't obsess about the pain, It's mostly non-painful. I just had the tooth thing happening, and the dentist asked me, was it painful? I told him, no. Why should it be? Oh, it's beliefs. Beliefs. And look, if you had a trauma once, you can have a mind structure that says, now there will be only a repetition of this trauma. And this... I don't do because it's insane. Why should I repeat my traumas? I want new traumas. So I am one of your students to learn the Greenberg Method. And one big thing in this um, education is to train body attention. And we do a lot of exercises where we, where we really give attention to the body. And during one exercise, you said, 
don't force it. The fact that it would be a good idea doesn't mean that you have to force this exercise on your body. Um, from what you experience with your clients, how much do we actually force our body to perform exercises or e extensive sports and don't let it be in the natural state it wants to be? I, I can tell you, any sport that is repetitive damages you because the repetition doesn't even allow you to feel the damage. Okay. And uh, this is one thing. Repetition means that you use the same movements again and again and again. So all in all, any exercise that demands for your repetition, I think it's a mistake. I, I, I don't practice sports. I don't want to create a situation in which my body is shaped because I am pedaling or climbing. I, I want a body shape that fits a lot of non-specialized activities, okay? This is one thing. And I don't want to use only same, uh, the same sets of muscles all the time. I prefer to do things that take me to many diverse activities for my body is much healthier. This is one thing. Second, exercises are good if they're short and really allow you to pay attention. Look, the exercise I taught you, I did for some time, and I sometimes take five years break from an exercise, okay, because I do it too automatically. It's too much, one, two, three, four. And when it's like this, I, pff, I don't want to do it. I want to do something that demands attention, okay? Not necessarily in complexity, okay, but that demands attention. Sometimes it's enough that I'll do something new. Sometimes it's enough that I'll do something that demands more investment of energy or it's more difficult or I'm using something very unfamiliar to my body. This is enough to bring more attention. But when something is like known, I know this exercise, it's time to stop doing it. For a time, I'm not, all the exercises that I taught you are all aimed to create flows in the body following the natural flows. But you can get accustomed to them. Like you won't eat the same chocolate every day, right? Some people would, but most people would like some diversity. So when something gets too familiar, I stop doing it. One other thing that we learned through this body attention is also to be fully present in the here and the now. And you, you gave me the chance to um, see people different when I'm not in my head or in my ego. And then I can really um, be fully present with the client and you call it containing. I always had the feeling like you see with your hands. How long did it take you to actually really see the other, other person and be present with your clients? To achieve that was one of my first priorities when I started. See, I started the whole direction not from healing, but from perception, from attention. Okay, I started very young and I did many things to develop attention. And my line was always that reality is outside of me and I want to train all of me to pay attention. I got it very young that it's my body that perceives reality and that my mind is an interpreter, thanks to Ellen Watts and many other fantastic people that left their wisdom behind. So when I started, what I wanted was to see people as they are. The experiences I had with people that uh, looked at me, and had ideas about me or explained me or interpret me or analyzed me were very bad because they always analyzed me according to their system of beliefs and knowledge. So if I would go to a psychoanalyst, he will Freudian me. If I will go to somebody else, he will do that with me. But nobody looked at me. They all looked at me through glasses that were very like focused but I never felt that anybody's looking at me. So for me, the challenge was, I need to see my client. Now, I developed a few things, not just containing. The whole analysis for the feet was developed, I want to see the individual. I don't want to see 
names of medical conditions or names of emotional issues. I want to see the person, okay? The ease, the, the, what is happening there without my beliefs, without my prejudice, without my judgment, without my criticism. Because through the interpreter, you meet somebody and you already have a lot to say about him before he even opened his mouth. His hairstyle, his clothes, his color, his eye, oh, beautiful eyes, and all of this, you are actually flooded with much more information from inside of you than from really perceiving them. So why do I call it containing? Because when I agree to perceive with all of my body, my attention expands. It's not under my skin. It's not only in my head. It's not only in my hands. Okay? It's out of me. Now, I, the experience is that I create a bubble okay, in which both of us are there and not separated. So my hand will know where it's painful. Not because my hand is wise, but because I have the experience of the pain there. Okay? Now, it's not that I feel the pain. But I feel their pain. I know where it is. I know how it feels. I know where it radiates to. I can follow it. You saw me doing it many times. And none of this is verbal or conceptual. My body moves long before, faster long, and long before I have the realization of what is happening. So I am experiencing something, and then I can say, aha, I see this and this. But I prefer the experience first, realization later. Because realization is a summary, it's after. Okay? It's not the thing. The thing is my ability to totally abandon myself into the experience of the client's body and of himself in that moment. It's difficult because we are trained to see, judge, criticize, analyze, have beliefs that are like this if the person is too tall or too short. And we already have positions. And this is actually what leaves most people with the feeling that they are totally alone. A lot of the people are touched for the first time in their life, felt that somebody really touched them or felt them where it was relevant. And this is priceless. This is... Uh, it took me years to train a student to be good enough and that Ruth, uh, my partner today, that I will feel the same thing. I, I could do it to others, but I never felt somebody do it to me before she was trained enough to be able not just to perceive through the mirror of her mind, but to have a direct experience of me. And then the experience of being experienced or seen. See, when you are real to me, you become more real to yourself. You stop being just a set of ideas and you become something that is larger than this. So containing is that. But this is the, the thing I experience also with clients that they say the way I touch them, they feel seen and touched. But the thing is also that I really want to touch them. I want to feel them. Look, this is one of the nice things about this profession. You should not touch people that you don't like. Okay? It's insane that a body that doesn't like another body will touch it. Okay? I find it abusive. Now, the issue is not why you don't like. Because I refused very few people because my body didn't like them. But, and it wasn't because of color, religion, or whatever, okay? It was because something in me just couldn't take it, okay? So you can call it chemistry or whatever. I don't even want to know why. I just want the freedom when it's like this, not to force myself to be something that I'm not, because it anyway will not work. My body has to love what we're doing, to love the person's pain and to love the fear and to agree to go through it and to have an adventure in it. If it feels like I have to castrate myself for somebody else, it's called sacrifice. Uh, sacrifice is effective maybe in other situations, but not in this situation. 
the the doctors I talked with about the green bag method, or the I even have clients that are doctors, they said one nice thing about the method is that people learn this body attention because what their biggest problem is is that people either come too early or too late to the emergency because they don't actually know anymore what pain is or if they're really sick. Exactly. Exactly. This is one of the things that allow people to grow a huge tumor in their bellies and not feel it. And what allows them to have conditions that if they were treated, even by medicine, early, they would never develop into a horrible thing. But yes, the, look, we became minds with eyes. Okay, So it's not just health that we're losing, we're losing each other. Because you cannot really perceive or experience somebody else close to you and feel not alone when you live internally in your virtual reality and they live also there. You actually never meet. Not for real. I mean, sometimes sex, but even sex, if it's a mindful sex, then even then minds are meeting, not bodies. I rather have a body body full one. The physical (laughs) biochemical machine is who you are. It's your sensations and your feelings and your heart. This is really who you are. Now, we are devolving as species. And by our devolution, we are devolving the world. Think of how many living creatures already lost their lives and totally became extinct. And we are on our way by doing this. And the issue is not pollution or plastic or anything. The issue is the mind structure that we created. The hierarchical mind structure that separates us constantly from the world, from ourselves, from others. And as long as we don't wake up and become afraid, but truly afraid, okay? Truly afraid because we are killing everything till we don't want to deal with that fear because we are playing with all kinds of ideas and we're trying to get rich in the in while it's happening. You know? Then we really are not aware of reality. I experienced that a lot of people need also crises or very painful uh, sicknesses to, to make a change in their life. And you once mentioned that real change doesn't happen because you change a circumstance. Like you gave the example that if I go on a world trip and climb a mountain, it wouldn't change my personality. It needs a bigger crisis to change my personality. So my question is, what was the most intensive, painful situation in your life and and what could you learn from it? Most intensive, again, I, I, I don't have a list of the 10 most uh, terrible things that ever happened. The worst was being a soldier. And this will never happen again. No way. Was yeah. it so painful because you didn't feel free? I was a slave to crazy people ideas. And it was so painful because I saw young lives like mine just gone because of not clear why at all. Man, none of this was necessary. I understand that we got to die, okay? There is no argument about that. It's not like I'm sad for the death. But this was totally useless. It changed nothing. Nothing happened afterwards. Nobody's life got better. (laughs) And uh, this is, if you look at the history of the human race, none of the shit humanity produced for itself made anything better. We look at our culture, our technology, and we think, wow, we evolved or developed. This is not true. 500 years ago, people worked half of the time, had much less worries, had much more fun, had much more closeness and warmth, and we didn't evolve. We just have more technology. You said that the mind is an interpreter. So is criticizing oneself actually very stupid in a way if you see it in a biological way it doesn't make any sense yeah think of a frog looking at her foot and say i don't have long enough leg or something Uh, yeah it's insane 
No, but this is part of how we are trapped in there. Doomed to observe ourselves and to be busy with what we say about ourselves. Look, I have clients that whatever happened, they had to, first of all, to settle it with themselves before they said anything. You specifically come with a, from a culture that people have to censor themselves before they say anything. So I say something to somebody from your culture. I can see in his eyes how he already wants to say something, but no, it has to go through. I cannot say those words. It cannot be in this structure. This is the correct grammar. I mean, okay, I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. It's like a computer from the 80s, okay? And then he said something that because of his censorship, all the punchline is gone. All the passion is gone, and there is something that is called sterile and boring. Because this is like the least problematic, okay? It's not offensive, it's not insulting, it's not judgmental, it's politically correct, and it's a Barbie. Plastic and with no genitals. Many cultures are creating this in people's minds. Okay, you have to... Make sure that what comes out of your mouth is checked before. Why? That you can keep the ugliness inside? <laughs> if you have ugliness, maybe it's better that it will come out of you. Before I come to the last three questions of the interview, one question before the last three questions. How do you explain it to yourself that some people walk around and they are so trustful And others are very fearful and resistant. How does it work? I didn't meet a lot of trustful people, first of all. I, I don't think the structure of the mind allows trust. If you avoid fear, you cannot trust. Okay? But that would mean it, you also wouldn't call yourself a trustful person. No. I trust a few people totally. But most people are untrustable. Look, people think one thing, say another. I immediately experience it. To trust what? What they said to themselves, what they said to me, what their body felt, they're in pieces. It's not that I say people are bad and I shouldn't trust them. It's not a, a psychological problem that I have. But I look at people, their attention is fractured. Okay, most of the time they're reacting, enacting the past of their lives. They don't see what's happening. Many times don't see me. They interpret what I do, what I say in ways that, wow, <laughs> I could have never thought this way. So what is to trust? I can trust people that are very awake and that are very present and that I can see that they are not divided. I look at... Uh, a relationship between people, how many times there is a div division in a person. They say, welcome, but go away at the same time. To trust is real. I trust the bed I'm lying on. I trust my cat to be a cat. But the rest is uncertain. I trust my body. I get hurt, and it happens. Huh? I get hurt, I relax. I trust my body that it will try to heal. So... There is trust in some things, but most of the times it's better to stay aware and attentive than to blindly trust. It also reminds me that this concept of trust is also a mind concept, not a body concept, because we are running around and all of us are predators. Look, if your client relaxes on the table and allows his body to work, he trusts you. He is afraid at the same time. But he allows the fear, the body works, he trusts. This is trust. And it can be temporary for 10 minutes, but it's maybe better than anything he had in his life before. So my last three questions. The first one, what is your biggest fear? To die. I didn't start yet. I'm young and I want to live a very, very long life because I have many things that I just start now. Many adventures, many projects, many curiosities. I feel young and unexperienced. 
And I want to taste and do many, many, many things. So, yes, I'm afraid to die before I'll do all of what I intend to do. Second question. What are you currently doing that you still don't know how it will turn out? I'm having a farm in which I'm practicing a form of permaculture. And I'm a beginner. And we're doing many experiments there from collecting rainwater to... Uh, feeding the ground with bacteria, whatever, and I have no idea how it will turn out. It's a huge investment of time and money and work, and I have no idea, and I'm very curious. The last one is not really a question. I have a book here where I wrote a lot of quotes in it, quotes that inspired me. And what I will do is I will flip through the pages and you will randomly say stop and we will stop on a quote and you will comment on it. No problem. So I flip through the pages, wait, and you just say stop. Stop. The quote is, be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. Yes, I said that. No, unfortunately, it was not you. Uh, I, <laughs> But it could be you. Like me. It sounds like <laughs> one of these uh, spiritual people. If those that don't matter, I prefer to... If they don't matter to me, I prefer not to talk to them at all. I prefer just not to be there. Why waste my life on something that doesn't matter? And those that don't... That do matter, I'll try to touch them outside of their minds because they do matter. People ask me about fear and what I told them that I'm afraid just like them. There is no difference. I just don't mind the fear. And don't mind means that I don't bring the mind into this game. The my, my mind knows where it should live. Well, I give him a lot of work because I'm thinking and writing and I do a lot of also mind work. But when it comes to my experience of reality, my mind learned to sit quietly somewhere and wait for me to come back. I won't agree to anything else. My book, my new book, is almost finished. Everything we talked about appears in this book in a structured way and that shows this kind of way of looking at human beings. Now, I, from the beginning, wanted to find a holistic way of looking at people that is not separating between mind, body, soul, spirit, uh, biochemical, etc. Because, and the only context I found is the context of perception. Because perception is also material and spiritual and every level perception is the largest context of what is to be human. And from that we can look at things. So my efforts as a human is to reach what is to have a human perception of reality. And I look at us as species and something like 13,000 years ago, we turned left, okay? And we made a terrible mistake by being afraid of fear, by not wanting pain, by creating hierarchies, by creating so many of us that nobody, nothing on earth can live next to us. We made a terrible mistake by choosing not to experience our bodies, but to live in our minds. And unless there will be a revolution on this level, which in my little humble way I'm trying to do with some individuals, there will be a quite a nasty end for all of us. Do you already know when the book will be published? No, because now it's in... I, I'm just saying that it, for me it's finished. I, I finished the work. Now it's in the hands of other people. If it will take too long, I'll, I'll self-publish it on Kindle. Okay, because uh, it's already two and a half years in the process and it became fantastic in my eyes. Okay, I love it, which wasn't easy, okay? And uh, I had a fantastic editor. Maybe you know her. It's Elaine from Paris. Okay. She's an expat American living in Paris, and now she moved to the countryside. She has a fantastic English, which I don't have. 
And uh, together we created something wonderful to read. So soon. Looking It's, forward to it. You didn't ask me what is the newest, most exciting thing that you have. You asked only about <laughs> difficulties. And I brought the most exciting thing that is just pure pleasure. I, I think it just reflects that you think in excitement and I'm in the reflecting state still. <laughs> We have about 30-something years difference between us. Yeah. And I really am aware of the tick-tock-tock of the clock of time. I wasn't aware of time when I was young. I wasn't aware of time when I became middle-aged. And now I'm acutely aware of time which means don't want to waste it and want as much of it as possible. Basically, every cell that is alive, from the grass to animals to everything that has consciousness or perception, wants this, to stay as long as possible in this state where we participate. Thank you so much. Thank you. You can listen to this podcast on www.intotheunknown.at, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you have an idea for an interview partner or just want to leave me some feedback, please don't hesitate to contact me on Instagram or send me an email on office at intotheunknown.at.